Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Titus chapter 2 and we're reading verses 1 through to 10. We're focusing on verses 9 and 10 but let's just read from verse 1 to remind us of the context of Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. These are the verses that we're looking at this morning. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, in an interview he gave to the New York Times just towards the end of his life, said this. He says, I believe in God, family and McDonald's. And then he added, in the office, that order is reversed. Now that sums up a lot of people's attitude to work and religion. They operate on two different spheres, the secular and the spiritual. And there's a gulf between the two. So religion is kept uh, for the mosque, for the synagogue or for the church, and it makes no impact upon their place of employment. People throw off their religion with their Friday best, their Saturday best, or their Sunday best, and only put it on the following day of worship the next week. Now that is not a biblical or a Christian understanding of work. Our Christianity and our faith is to affect every part of our lives. The reformers, particularly Luther and Calvin, understood this, that the worth ethic was enshrined before the fall in the creation mandate that God gave to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That work was enshrined before the fall and declared by God to be good. In the fourth commandment, there's not only a prohibition on working on the Sabbath day, but a positive injunction to labor every other day. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So the reformers insisted that enshrined in the creation mandate and in the Decalogue is this command to work, which makes work an intensely spiritual thing. Paul speaking to the Colossians in Colossians 3 in verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And then he adds this, it is the Lord Christ you're serving, that you worship while you work. 
Now that work ethic has been greatly diminished in our society through the abandonment of biblical Christianity. So people are motivated on the one hand by greater productivity and on the other hand by greater pay. The very idea of working for the glory of God has all but disappeared from the collective consciousness of our nation. And unfortunately, Christians have been influenced by that secularization too. So there is a separation between their Christian profession and their secular life. That there is a difference between what they do on a Sunday and how they live on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and throughout the rest of the week. Now, in Titus 2 verses 9 and 10, Paul is giving instructions to slaves in regard to their relationship with their masters. And it's been estimated that 33% of the entire population of the Greek and Roman world were slaves. And many members of the early church were drawn from the ranks of slaves. And it was important that Paul should address them in this epistle and in his other epistles, as does uh, Peter also. And what he says to them runs against the uh, cultural norms uh, of society. Now, we don't have slaves today, so this um, uh, injunction uh, addressed to slaves doesn't directly uh, apply to us. So the particulars he addresses are unique, but the principles are timeless. And it's the principles that I want to draw out this morning, and I want to take them and apply them to our relationship with our employers, our superiors, our bosses. And I want you to, first of all, notice our attitude in the workplace. Look at verse 9. He says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. Notice, first of all, the obedience we must render. Uh, slaves are to be subject to their masters in everything. Now, of course, the subjection that a slave renders to his master is of an altogether different order than that obedience that an employee renders to his employer. Slaves were considered to be no better than domestic implements or agricultural uh, animals. They had no rights, no assets, no dignity. Their master could uh, mistreat them, sell them, or even kill them without anybody ever re raising an eyebrow. It's said that Emperor Augustus crucified his slave for accidentally killing his pet quail. Now, slavery is an attack upon the dignity of man as an image bearer of God, and it is a wicked, wicked thing. And the Bible recognizes that wickedness. Paul calls it the yoke of slavery in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 1. But it's interesting that Paul does not call for social action, political agitation, or organized revolution to bring a, a, an end to slavery, but rather spiritual transformation. You uh, could imagine with a population where one third were made up of slaves, it would be almost impossible for uh, a small, insignificant uh, church that was considered to be the off-scarring of society to bring moral change. 
directly through revolution, but it did bring change through the gospel. You know what brought an end to slavery uh, in ancient society? It was the, the little letter of Philemon. Paul calls the runaway slave Onesimus a brother in the Lord. And he sends him back to Philemon. And when your, uh, your slave is your brother, you can no longer treat him as a slave. Philemon, he's no longer a slave. He's a brother. And it was that thought that so gripped William Wilberforce to campaign so vigorously for the abolition of the British slave trade in 1807. How can a brother be a slave? So our relationship to our employer is not one of blind, total, unquestioned subjection. We are not slaves. We have entered into a contract. The employee is on a different footing altogether. It's a contractual arrangement. The word master there is the Greek word despot. And although our employer may be a tyrant, uh, we are not called to render to him the same submission that a slave would render to his master. Indeed, the early trade union movement had its roots in evangelical uh, Christianity and evangelical churches because they recognized that that relationship with their employer was contractual and they had the right to withhold labor for better working con uh, conditions. However, in a more general sense, the employee must recognize the authority of his employer. He has entered into a contract to do a certain job and he must in that job work under the authority of his superior that is the contract he is duty bound to submit to his authority the boss is the boss notice paul says in everything that subjection is not to be partial uh, or half-hearted there are no exceptions no exclusions no exemptions in everything paul says Whatever they ask for, whenever they ask for it, however they may ask for it, recognition and submission to their authority is required. And if you find yourself in a, a position where you are unable to submit to that authority, you can always break the contract and look for another job. But if we continue to work for them, we must respect their authority, we must acknowledge their authority, and we must be subject to that authority, the obedience we must render. Secondly, notice the objective we must have. Uh, notice what Paul says again in verse 9, bond servants are to, be, uh, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. The NIV says, try to please them. That's the objective. That's the goal for these slaves, to please their masters, to please them with the quality, and I suppose with the quantity of their work. That word pleasing could be translated with the word satisfaction. We speak of job satisfaction, but what about employer satisfaction? Try to satisfy your employers. Now, of course, some employers can never be satisfied. They can never be pleased. But that should not stop us trying. We ought to be diligent, conscientious, and work to the very best of our ability. 
Think of Joseph. We looked at Joseph recently in our studies in Genesis. Potiphar gave him charge over his own uh, his whole household. And we're told the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Is your workplace blessed because of you? Have you a reputation as a slacker, as one who always gets offside when the difficult jobs or the dirty jobs are being hand, handed out? Is your boss pleased with you? That ought to be our objective. That ought to be our aim, to be well-pleasing. I remember uh, when I was first converted going on a youth weekend in a, another church and there was a, a speaker who had a very charismatic warm uh, personality and uh, I was greatly touched by this individual and he gave me some books books that I still have to this day and uh, I discovered in the course of the conversation that he worked with my brother who wasn't a, a Christian and so trying to witness to my brother I, I said to him do you know Robert uh, he's a really nice man I said to which my brother replied, you don't have to work with them. You don't have to work with them. What would your colleagues in general and your boss in particular say about you? Our attitude in the workplace, the obedience we must render, that we are to be submissive uh, to our employers in everything and the objective that we must have to be well-pleasing. The second thing I want you to notice uh, this morning is our approach in the workplace. Paul goes on to speak, to speak about our approach, our behaviour, the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace. And he says three things. He says that we should be respectful, trustworthy and reliable. First of all, respectful. Look at verse 9. Bond slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing not argumentative, not to talk back to them, says the NIV, not answering again, says the authorised version. The word literally means to speak against, and I suppose that can be directly or indirectly, directly to his face or indirectly behind his back. It carries the idea of mouthing off, of being contentious and abusive. It's the opposite to submissive. These slaves were often sulky and surly towards their masters. They would often express their unhappiness with their position by muttering sarcastic comments under their breath or rubbishing their master behind their back. But here Paul, in this radical teaching, calls on slaves to treat their masters with respect and not to answer back. Now, such instructions are so relevant for the morning uh, for the modern workplace. How easy it is to engage in a, a them and us kind of attitude when it, uh, it comes to employees and employers, to criticise, to gossip, to scandalise in the staff room or in the tea room. How easy it is to answer him back, to put him down, to use sarcasm, to show him up. Not you, says Paul. You're a Christian now. You are to uh, treat your employer with the utmost respect. Now that's not to say the employee must never express his concerns or his grievances to his employer. If he is unfairly treated, perhaps he needs to have that face-to-face -face, 
uh, conversation and tell his boss that he feels or she feels unfairly treated. If he deserves a pay rise, it's not wrong to ask for a pay rise. But he must do it in the most respectful of ways. And at the end of the day, if he finds some policy too difficult or task too onerous or uh, any practice unacceptable, he can always look for another job. His boss is to be treated with respect. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That the obedience and respect that we as Christians render to Christ is to be reflected in the obedience and the respect that we have for those over us. Now you might say that's all very well, but my employer isn't a man or indeed a woman who is worthy of respect. I can't respect them. And you think of these slaves. Some of them worked in homes in which they were uh, treated no better than animals. And yet Paul says, show them respect, don't be argumentative. When others are complaining about the teacher, the manager, the foreman, the supervisor, do you join in? Do you delight to put them down on every occasion? That ought not to, uh, to be. Do you mutter under your breath? Do you grumble in other people's ears? Do you complain to anyone who will listen? No, says Paul. Don't be argumentative. Don't talk about them. Be respectful. Secondly, he says, be trustworthy. Again, look at verse 10. Not pilfering. The eighth commandment applies to the workplace as to anywhere else. You shall not steal. Now the authorised version says here, not purloining, which comes from an old French word, which means to put at a distance, to put something where it ought not to be, to put it in the car when it should be in the factory, or to put it in your study when it should be in the office, to put it in the garage when it should be in the workshop. You see, it's all too easy when you're working with equipment day after day, a personal equipment for your employment to treat that equipment as your own. It may be a paperclip, it may be a stapler, it may be a calculator, it may even be a computer. However, there are other ways in which we can steal. We can steal time. Our boss, our firm has bought and paid for our time. And that's, that's his time. And yet we leave early, we arrive late, or we take extended lunch hours. And that is to steal from him what he has already bought. We can steal by exaggerating expense sheets, by claiming for mileage when we got a lift or for meals when we took a packed lunch. Paul says to the Ephesians, let him who steals, steal no longer. That although stealing, particularly petty or indirect stealing, such as falsifying expense accounts or using the company telephone is considered normal practice in our culture, nevertheless, it ought not to characterize the Christian. Before you were a Christian, 
This is the way you may have behaved, but not any longer. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Now think of this for a moment. Put yourself into the shoes of one of these first century slaves. You have absolutely nothing. You're expected to work, not for a small wage, but for no wage. And, and maybe in the, um, the household in which you serve, your children are given the privilege of sitting in with the master's children in the classroom and being educated. But you know that that education will never be used to their own personal advantage because you're not in a position to purchase their freedom. And you notice then the master leaves loose change about the house. And so you pick it up and you pocket it. And over a long period of time, you accumulate enough to purchase the liberty of your children. Or imagine your uh, wife's birthday is coming up and you love her dearly and you notice uh, a silk scarf that has been disregarded by the mistress of the house. And so you pick it up so that you can express your love to your wife. Or maybe one of your children is ill or your wife is ill. And uh, she has a fever and uh, she is shivering and, and, and you, you need a blanket and you, you take a blanket from the master's house. But then one Sunday, um, you get news that a letter has arrived from the Apostle Paul, someone who was instrumental in your conversion. And then you read these words, or these words are read to you, that slaves are to be subject to their masters in everything and are not to pilfer. That was radical. The normal accepted work practice of slaves was to get what you could out of a bad situation. But now Paul says you're a Christian and you're to act differently. And perhaps it would be very difficult to explain the radical change in your attitude to property to your fellow slaves. Sure, it's normal. Everybody's doing it. And it's expected. But the Christian is to be different. He is not to steal. Are you honest and trustworthy in the workplace? Our approach to the workplace. We are to be respectful. We're not to talk back. Not be argumentative we are to be trustworthy we're not to pilfer and then thirdly we are to be reliable look at verse 10 but showing good faith in everything the authorized version says but showing all good fidelity now the, the greek word is the word for faith but i i think in this context it means faithfulness that he is to be reliable dependable loyal in the workplace that he is faithful to his master he's given a job to do and he does it the boss can leave him to it knowing that what he has asked for will be done he won't let him down he won't give up he won't take time off unnecessarily some people take time off for a sniffle and it so happens that that sniffle always comes about coming up to Christmas or when the children are off school. And it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Are you reliable and dependable in work? We've already quoted Joseph, uh, where, where we're told that Potiphar trusted him completely. 
We're told in Genesis 39 and verse 6 that Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything but the food that he ate. So reliable was Joseph to Potiphar. He had nothing to worry about. He could entrust, he could leave everything to Joseph. Does your boss, your superior, superior treat you like that? Do you have the reputation for reliability and for faithfulness? Or are you known as one who lets people down? So the attitude in the workplace, we are to be respectful, trustworthy and reliable. So our attitude in the workplace, our approach in the workplace, and thirdly, our aim in the workplace. You'll remember that in this section of Titus, Paul has been emphasizing the importance of doctrine in moderating and indeed molding the people of God, making them into the people that he wants them to be. And on three occasions, he expresses concern about the influence that the Christian's witness has in the non-Christian world. He says in verse five um, to uh, the young women that the word of God may not be reviled. Younger women, this is how you are to live so that the word of God may not be reviled or blasphemed, which is uh, probably a more accurate translation. Secondly, in verse eight, he says to Titus himself, that he is to be a model of good works so that the opponents of the faith will have nothing evil to say about Paul and about him, that he is to live as a good example, giving no opportunity to anyone to reject the teaching. And now thirdly, he says in verse 10 about these slaves, that they are to live consistently so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Now, notice the first two purpose clauses are negative, that the word of God may not be reviled in verse 5, that they will have nothing to say about us in verse 8. But here in verse 10, it's positive to adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. These slaves are to live in such a way that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. Now that word adorn, translated by the NIV as attractive, is the Greek word cosmeto, from which we get our English word cosmetics. Now, cosmetics are worn not to mass ugliness, but to enhance beauty. That's why if, if people wear too, too much, they, they mask their natural beauty. Cosmetics properly applied are to adorn, are, are to, to enhance the person's natural beauty. The word was originally used of jewelry. It was to highlight certain features. So a necklace would draw attention to the neck or a, a bangle or a bracelet would draw attention to the hand and to the wrist ear rings would draw attention uh, to the ears. But do you see what Paul is saying? In the workplace, you are to live 
in a way that the doctrine of God becomes attractive, that you adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Now, obviously, it's the doctrine of the gospel itself he has in mind, because he speaks about the doctrine of God, our Saviour. It's the doctrine of salvation. It's the message of salvation that Paul is particularly concerned about. And so our aim in the workplace is to be evangelistic, to see our colleagues, even our bosses, attracted to, drawn to, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very positive thing. Now, of course, there is a negative reason for behaving as a Christian employee ought to behave. Paul used that negative motive for slaves in 1 Timothy 6, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. We don't want to turn anybody away. We don't want to put anybody off but not just negatively positively we want to adorn the doctrine of god our savior we want to make the gospel attractive to others they look at our lives and the way we conduct ourselves and the gospel becomes attractive to them they they see how we behave in the workplace and they realize that there must be something more that motivates us. And they are provoked to ask questions and to seek after the Savior. There are many Christians who are blameless at work, but in an unattractive way. I was very uh, struck recently when I was studying John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, it's not the normal word for good there, meaning his outward moral character. He was good. He was perfect outwardly. But that word good actually means attractive and appealing. William Henriksen makes the point it's possible to be morally right repulsively. Our Lord was attractive in his um, morality. There was something about his personality that drew people to him. And that ought to be our aim in the workplace, to live in such a way that the gospel, the doctrine of God, our Savior, becomes attractive. Christostenum, uh, in the early church, said to the Roman officials of his day, do not judge the Christian's doctrine from the doctrine, but from his actions and life. Our light is to so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, we are the only Bibles that the non-Christian often reads. Paul, writing the epistle to the Corinthians, says of them, you are our epistle, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter of Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, that you are a letter of Christ written by the spirit of God, that, that people could read the gospel in these early Christians and know that it was a letter from God. Now, when your colleagues read you, what do they read? When they see you, 
What do they see? When they observe you, what do they observe? Are you a living letter, a living uh, epistle, an adornment to the gospel of God our Savior? That's our aim. That's our motive. That's our purpose in living, to live for the glory of God so that our colleagues, our school friends, even our bosses are drawn to Christ through the way that we live and what they read in our lives. Do those that you work with sit beside in school, go shoulders with uh, day after day, your colleagues, do they see something in you that makes the gospel attractive? Our lives preach louder often than our words. That friend that you sit beside, that you work with, is a never-dying soul. They have an immortal soul that will uh, live forever, either in heaven under the, the blessing of God and in fellowship with Christ our Savior, or away from him under the judgment of God with the doomed and the damned. Do you not want to reach them? Do you not want to draw them to Christ? Is that not your aim, even as a Christian working in the workplace, that you might not only live for the glory of God and work for the glory of God, that you may be an adornment to the gospel of God, the doctrine of God, our Savior. That's our aim in the workplace. So our attitude in the workplace, the obedience we must give, we, we must be submissive in everything. And the objective we must have to try to please them. Our approach in the workplace, we are to be respectful, not to be argumentative, trustworthy, not to steal or pilfer, reliable, that we are faithful uh, to our bosses and to the trust that has been given to us. And our aim in the workplace to make the teaching, the doctrine of God our Saviour attractive. Let us see the workplace as a mission field where we can live for the glory of God and through our lives proclaim the doctrine of God our Saviour. Amen.